Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, Matt. Uh, great to be back at Crux. We, um, we're a TSX-listed company focused on Mongolia. Uh, I am the CEO of that company. My name is Peter Akerley. And we effectively have a two-pronged approach. We have a uh, shovel-ready gold project, high-grade open pit that we're moving forward with. Alongside of that, we're developing a multi-million ounce gold district, and we've had some tremendously exciting um, drill intersections recently that I'm looking forward to talking to you about today. Brilliant, Peter. Uh, thanks for coming back on. We had you, when were you here? Like July, some, sometime there? Uh, about mid-June, I think it was. Mid-June, mid-June. Hey, well, look, um, look, appreciate you coming back on, especially as I know you happen to be in Mongolia. How are things there? Finally made it back. Finally made it back. It's been almost two years uh, since I uh, was in Mongolia, and typically I'd be here, you know, five, six, seven times a year. Um, so yeah, it's great to be back in the ground. Lots of activity here. Drilling's underway. So back in the thick of it. Brilliant. Okay. Well, cool. Look, I think last time out for people who haven't, you know, heard your story before. We we, we spoke to you. We talked about business plans, strategies, teams, money, and how how this thing gets built out of all again if all goes according to plan. Uh, thought today we might sort of dig in on the assets like we, we, we said we would, because you've, you've been putting out some nice headlines, some nice numbers uh, there, which I think have caught the eye. Um, do, should, we, should we talk about those today? I mean, you obviously must be quite pleased with uh, some of the grades. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've, um, we've drilled two targets since we last spoke, and uh, we've had some tremendous success at a project called Dark Horse, which is about three and a half kilometers to the north. But more recently, we stepped out to the uh, west of our Bayanhundi deposit, and we've had some very thick intersections at the Ulan Discovery, um, you know, in excess of 200 meters of a gram of gold. Uh, a core of 50 meters of three grams. So just a, a very significant um, impact on our exploration program through that Ulan discovery. So now we have two targets outside of that pit, one three and a half kilometers north and one just half a kilometer to the uh, west that are going to have a significant impact on the ultimate development that we see here at the Hundi Gold District. Now, so you're back, you're back in Mongolia now. Um, a lot of people will be looking in and going, well, Mongolia, what's that like for doing business? Um, they, may, they may be slightly uncomfortable with it. You've been operating there for, for, for many years. Um, how has it been affected by the COVID restrictions? Uh, has that impacted mining as a whole, your ability to do business? You know, it's interesting. Um, I've obviously had an opportunity to meet with some of the business elite government members as I've been here for the past week. And the... Um, the mining industry in this country is, is largely dependent on the coal and, uh, and copper uh, production. Coal has become massive over the last 10 years, you know, millions and millions of tons crossing the border into China. Uh, the same with the copper concentrates coming out of uh, Oyotogwe and iron ore also. Um, you can imagine that the uh, impacts at the uh, border uh, going into China would uh, have caused delay, but it's, it's shut down periodically. You just can't get any of these industrial metals or uh, bulk materials across that border. So that's had a, a major impact on the economy here. But what it's done, I guess, in favor to us is it's had people look much more closely on those commodities that they can produce and uh, not worry about the uh, transport into China. 
So in our case, obviously, production of a gold dory, selling that into the state, allowing the government to increase their uh, financial reserve base is becoming more and more important. And I think you see that uh, around the globe in a number of countries similar to Mongolia, but certainly uh, a lot of focus here on accelerating and incentivizing hard rock gold development. Well, okay. Well, that, that is good news. Um, and, and talking of which, last time we spoke, you were about to um, sit down and have a sort of a open meeting with the public. Um, did that happen? Because obviously your EIA was dependent on that happening. That's right. That was one of the biggest roadblocks we had faced in getting our permits to allow us to move towards construction. Uh, under Mongolian law, you have to have um, a consultative meeting with the local community. And in our case, that um, finally came to fruition in late June, just after the last time we spoke. And we had 200 local people on the steps of, um, of the local community, uh, a multi uh, sort of hour discussion and feedback. But at the end of that, we received majority support from that local community to push forward with our development. So that was a, a very uh, significant milestone for us. And that's now opened the door for us to proceed with our detailed environmental impact assessment, which is in front of the regulators being um, reviewed now. And we expect to have that meeting in the next few weeks. So hopefully next time I speak to you, we'll be able to check that box. Do you think, so there's an important one for me in, in the sense of people, you know, talk about ESG in every single conversation we have. Do you find in, in countries like Mongolia where, Okay, very low density of, of, of population, um, you know, big country, mineral rich. Has COVID constraint in terms of being able to transact with China and, you know, the, you know, presumably reduction of tax incomes, uh, reduced ability for people to work and get paid. Has that changed their attitude to things like the EIA? Have they dropped their standards? No, this is the short answer. I think um, the Mongolian regulatory system has remained uh, exactly the same. We're going through the same process as we would have two years ago for the other projects. So, no. Um, but those impacts, you know, they are very significant. Uh, as you can imagine, this economy depends um, to a large degree on uh, mineral exports. I think 30% of the GDP is generated through those mineral exports. So it's having impact, but no, not an impact on the regulatory uh, the, the process of going through the regulatory system. Right. And how much does big, but sorry, sorry, a slight, slight segue here, but I promise I'll come back, is it, how much do the big businesses, the, the, the big mining businesses, like the, as you say, the, the, the copper and the, and the cause of this, how much influence do they bear over the Ministry for Mining? I mean, are, are they driving that thing or has the country, again, got a strong ministry, strong code and, and a good sense of who they want to be? Yeah, absolutely the latter. I see, you know, great independence, um, a strong uh, mining ministry and then mineral implementation authority, uh, mineral rural impl implementation authority. Uh, you know, the big players here, obviously Rio Tinto is one of them. There's a multitude of large coal companies, both public on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, but also state run. But, you know, when I look at this, they're all following the same rules and regulations across the board, whether it's us or Rio or those uh, Hong Kong listed coal companies. And, you know, it is a fairly strict uh, system that came out of the, the former um, Soviet systems when you look back into the 90s and 80s. So there's a lot of bureaucracy associated with it. But, you know, their bureaucracy, uh, their bureaucrats and, and middle management have um, learned the mining industry over the last decade and it functions pretty well. 
Okay. Well, it's the only reason I ask is obviously you see some countries in Africa bend to the will of the of the larger companies because the, the the dependence on the on the revenues yeah. coming through. Um, right. Last time we spoke, obviously, it was from Jewish time. You, you you say reminded me. Um, we, I'm kind of keen to get a kind of update on the molybdenum copper project, you know, trying to understand what you're doing with that. Because obviously all the headlines have been gold, 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 and they're great greats. And yep. I do want to, I do, we'd love you to dive in and uh, get into the weeds with me. So what can you tell us about the, uh, that, that project? You know, I think it'd be helpful if I just step back for a moment, sort of walk through the various projects in sequence, because Zoom I kind of sits at the end of that. Okay. And, uh, I just want to get rid of the outliers, though. You know, you said right because you know what's the focus, the order of play for you, and I'm, and I that'd be helpful. Let me speak to Zoomod then for a moment. So Zoomod is a very large, perhaps one of the largest undeveloped molybdenum copper projects in the uh, Central Asia region. It sat dormant for the last you know almost a decade because of low molybdenum prices. Molly prices have jumped up to I think they're twenty two dollars a pound today. Um, which is you know, triple from where it was during that period of dormancy. What that means to us is we have 400 million pounds of molybdenum at Zoomod uh, at current prices. That's in situ, better than $8 billion worth of uh, metal. The previous internal studies we'd done back in the mid-teens was um, suggesting you know, $14 to $16 molly would start to make this economic. When you're talking about a big bulk tonnage porphyry development, the numbers add up pretty quickly. So there's a lot of value sitting in that project now for us. And that's what pushed us into revisiting it effectively. We've engaged with one of the big engineering firms. We've um, begun a, a revised scope study, which will bring back all the work we did previously. And over the next six weeks or so, we'll see that delivered and have a, a new set of economics we can look at. We're already seeing um, approaches from the steel industry in China to look at the Zoomod project, the stainless steel industry in particular. Uh, I don't know how much you're aware of in China, but there's two major molybdenum producers that supply the steel industry there. And they went into deficit last year, which is part of why the molly price has peaked. Um, if they're going to look for a new molly project, it seems like the logical place to look would be at the border where rail and highway has already been built. We're within 200 kilometers of it. Um, great metallurgy, very large project, a reasonable grade, similar to some of the other producers in China and globally. So, yeah, we're excited about it. But, you know, the reason I said let's look at it in sequence is we're looking at that as a uh, sort of stage four development. You know, get the cash flow from the gold project, enlarge that and consider ZoomMod as something that we would consider developing with a partner when you look out five to 10 years from now. If somebody comes along and uh, offers the right financial uh, opportunity for us, then we'll consider it. And that's part of getting it back on the um, radar, bringing it, uh, refreshing it. But see, but that's interesting me in terms of how you play those things, because obviously, is the market going to get better than it is today? You know, Molly's high, high at the moment. You look at the deficit in, in China. Do you, as a $110, $120 million company, depending on the day of the week, um, have the time and patience to wait for some event, which may be bringing a strategic partner in and capturing some value? or act, actively going, do you know what? I think we could get a real chunk of change which will release all of these other projects that we've got going on. We'll ask, we'll ask to step it up, because I think a question sent in by one of your shareholders to us was, why don't you just go and raise a big chunk of change and just get after that gold now? Why, why this careful approach? Mm -hmm. 
Well, back to the, uh, the first question there on ZooMod, that's part of bringing it back to the market's attention is to increase the visibility so those that are interested may approach us and we can look at doing a transaction along the way. Um, my view of ZooMod is it will be a mine. It's a question of when. And when it is, it's going to be a terrific value. And we have uh, a roadmap here to get us into production where we don't need to sell off assets prematurely before we can maximize value out of them. So if the right deal's there, obviously we're going to consider it, but uh, it's not going to be a fire sale. It's a great asset in the future and we'll, uh, we'll continue to add to that value. Um, you know, why not go out and raise $20 million to uh, do expiration? I think you can ask every company that question and the answer is always going to be, it's too much dilution at these levels. So, you know, I've always been somebody that employs a measured approach to using shareholders' money and will continue to do that. We're well-funded enough now to continue to add ounces and continue to make discoveries. This is not an, exp uh, an expensive expiration district. You know, when you think about a $20 million program, you know, some of those deep targets in Ontario or, um, you know, working in northern BC, it can get really expensive. Here, we're $87 a meter and we're shallow and the targets are sitting at surface. So I'd be hard pressed to spend $20 million on expiration. You know, a big program for us, 20,000 meters, 5 million Canadian dollars. And that's kind of the framework of what we're looking at as we move into 2022, you know, firm up the dark horse new line opportunities with the current drilling and then embark on what I consider to be a large program, but it's not of the magnitude that, uh, that that question uh, yeah. sort of okay well let's get back we, we, okay we discussed briefly there phase four so what's phase one two and three then should we run through that Sure. Yeah. So I, I kind of look at this as, um, as initially, obviously, the production. We have a 65,000 ounce per year shovel ready project. We'll get to production in 2023. And immediately after that, we see an opportunity to enhance that production. So stage two is really what I consider enhancement. Around that pit, we've had uh, intersections just in the last year in areas we previously deemed waste or low grade material. We're hitting in a couple of different areas, 15 meters of almost an ounce of gold. You know, this is within 10 meters of surface. So those areas require us to go in and do very tight space drilling that will come with grade control. And so that's the first sort of low hanging fruit I see in that enhancement stage that that, that 65,000 ounces per year is going to be padded with that material that we consider, um, you know, low grade or waste. Also, around that pit right now, we have 400,000 in reserves, but we have another 200,000 ounces in the two gram range that we can start to look to bring in, depending on where gold price is. So that's the first of, the, of those um, opportunities for enhancement. Moving north to Dark Horse, three and a half kilometers, we have an oxide cap on that new discovery. Uh, the grades in that that we reported since we last spoke you know, we're seeing 25 to 30 meters of five gram material sitting, you know, in some cases starting five meters below surface. And we're now drilling that off into an M&I um, level of spacing. So that'll be sitting there at surface again, ready to bring into that pit in the second, third, fourth years of production. And that's, that's sort of the second of the low hanging fruit. The third is the Altenar project to the north We've already confirmed about 200,000 ounces of near surface material that's amenable to the CIP plant. That also needs to be brought into measured indicated, some of it's inferred. And that's what we're doing in 2021 is 
is defining further what I call the enhancement stage. So all of those opportunities give us at least another 250,000 ounces to bring into that plant beginning almost immediately. You know, you're into first year production, that material is there waiting for you. So I see that as the ability to move this from 65 to 80,000 ounces per year. And that 80,000 ounces per year would ideally be going out eight or 10 years. And that's the stage two. Gotcha. Okay. Stage three is, um, is the bigger opportunity for an expansion. Uh, we see that in some of those targets I just mentioned, the one that I didn't mention because it is on an expiration license, so it's not going to be part of that uh, enhancement stage. But the Ulan opportunity is proving itself to be a very high priority for expansion. When you can start to pull repeatedly 100 to 200 meters of a gram of gold with 50-meter core of three grams, and we haven't really even pushed the envelope on that drilling yet, that's going to be the opportunity for a big expansion here, in my mind. Now, lots of work to do, and it's a fairly fresh discovery, but it's half a kilometer away from the pit. It's the same metallurgy. You know, as you may remember, the metallurgy of Bainundi is a very good, no deleterious materials, recovers very well. So Wulan's a perfect fit for an expansion there. And when I talk about expansion, you know, effectively looking at doubling the size of what we have today planned for buying Hyundai. So you're getting up into that 120 to 150,000 ounces per year. Um, so Wulan is part of that. Dark Horse, I mentioned the oxide. We have not drilled deep on Dark Horse yet. You know, we have intersections that are 30 meters of almost two grams in the one hole that we drilled deeper. So that now is just starting to be drill tested. And that would be the next opportunity for something I consider expansion potential. And thirdly is Altenar. I talked about bringing in sort of the, the CIP amenable material there. There's a very large opportunity for, you know, a million ounce plus at Altenar that still needs to be drilled. So those are the three targets that I see provide us with the opportunity to get up in north of 2 million ounces of resource and support a 150,000 ounce per year um, expansion opportunity. Right. Okay. And I know you said at the beginning that you probably want to whip out a couple of um Charts for us just before we started, actually. So I should say, I kind of just because I the thing that thing that I'm intrigued by, and maybe if you do that while I'm talking, it'd be great. Um, the thing that I'm intrigued by is the the scale of this because one, it's, it's a big country. I just want to know where the projects are in relation to each other for, for one, in terms of your your uh, economics and GNA, but also in terms of the scale of the projects themselves because you you described some scenarios there of some quick wins where you kind of piece them together it's it's either you know um shallow oxides or there's some it's it's a it's a small resource but you'll add to it later you want to kind of seems to me you want to kind of get things going and build it up as, as you move along rather than the sort of i guess north american model which or certainly canadian model where it's let's build the resource out let's get to two three million ounces or more uh before we do anything i mean is, is, is am i right in saying that or is there a bit more subtlety to it I would say we're leaning more towards that Australian model. I'd like to think there's a balance in here where we can uh, move rapidly towards that initial production, form that foundation, get the cash flow. At the same time, be carrying a reasonable amount of exploration to be pushing us next year through that 2 million ounce mark and becoming more aggressive as we move into that cash flow period in 2023. Right. But by Australian model, you mean get it, get into cash flow first, less dilutory, and then build it up over with your cash flow. That's right. Want to be clear. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
I'm looking at page one and um, I just wanted to reinforce the, the opportunity that we see here regionally. This is um, one of the world's great gold copper belts. It uh, is part of the Tian Shen mountain boat belt uh, known as the Central Asian Orogenic Belt. It's anchored by two of the largest copper gold deposits on the, on the far east here with Oyutogo and on the far west you have Morantau, 100 million ounce plus. There's a multitude of multi-million ounce deposits in here. And this is really what attracted me in the first place. But more so than that is there's a part of that belt that sits in southwestern Mongolia, the Hundi Gold District area, known as the Edrin Train, that had never before witnessed modern exploration. And so that's really the the attraction that brought us in here. The Edrin terrain itself is sitting in sort of one of those sweet spots of an intersection of major structures, um, the right host rocks. And we've narrowed down that work after a decade of regional exploration to discover what we call the Hundi Gold District, which is um, shown on this next slide. So here comes back to your question of trying to place geographically where our key prospects are. This is slide two. And you'll see the Bayan Hyundai uh, deposit in the south, uh, the Ulan project just directly adjacent to that to the west, Dark Horse uh, about three and a half kilometers to the north, and then Alton Nar, 16 kilometers north of that. So when I spoke to the idea of the enhancement stage, you're effectively beginning your development at uh, Bayan Hyundai, looking at the opportunities around that pit as you get up and running moving to the north to pick up the um, dark horse oxide material prior to starting to bring in any of that material you may need from Alton Nar, which is CIP amenable. If you look at this next slide, you get a better sense of the uh, prospect in the direct vicinity of the Bayan Hyundai gold deposit. So here we are on page three, uh, Bayan Hyundai to the south, Ulan, you can see just, you know, three to 400 meters to the west and then dark horse three and a half kilometers north. So this, this would be what I would consider the opportunity for, for the enhancement stage is get that buying honey deposit up and running and then uh, look at that oxide material at dark horse. <clears throat> Here um, you can see at the top of the page that oxide blanket at dark horse and that's about 50 meters uh, deep. Uh, this is on page four. Um, you'll see some of the grades we're intersecting here. We announced since we last spoke 27 meters of 5.86, uh, 30 meters of 5.6. We're currently drilling this off. So that'll be in a measured and indicated category. And we can move that into the reserve stage as we move into next year to have that available for the pit. Uh, but you can also see here, you know, there's very little has been done deeper in the dark horse prospect. So we're currently doing some deeper drilling up here. We've received our geophysics and that works underway. This is a kilometer and a half long system. You can see on the bottom of the page. So the oxide is the low hanging fruit opportunity, but there's a tremendous opportunity for a big system to be discovered here. And we're just getting started in that effort. Uh, switching over to Mulan, uh, this is on page five. You can see on the right-hand side, the, uh, the section line. We have five holes, which you can see in section on the left, and they're drilled over a 150 meter north-south line. And those five holes are averaging 120 meters of 1.2 grams per ton. But you can also see in red, these high grade intervals that uh, we've intersected 75 meters of two, 53 meters of 3.6. 
And we're now waiting for the next batch of holes to the west to come out of the lab, which we should see in the um, in the next few weeks. Um, so this is this is as I mentioned the third stage of opportunity, the enhancement being dark horse and uh, Altenar. But here we have an opportunity for something that's a bit of a game changer. You know, big volume, large expansion of our open pit. This gives us that opportunity to start to look at doubling the size of the uh, Bayan Hyundai plant and seeing that vision of 120 to 150,000 ounces come to fruition. So very excited about what we're seeing at the, uh, at the Ulan Discovery. This, this final map is page six, and this is the uh, showing the proximity between Bayan Hyundai and Alton Nahr. On the right-hand side, you can see the, uh, the pits we've defined near surface, and those were brought to PEA level, and that is where we have almost 200,000 ounces of material defined that can be brought down to the Bayan Hyundai uh, plant. So again, easily accessible material conducive or um, capable of being brought into the CIP uh, plant at Bayan Hyundai. So hopefully that puts things into geographic perspective for you and uh, gives you a bit of a sense of, of what that staging looks like as we move towards development and building out those ounces. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, we expect to be able to get into that 2 million ounce plus range with the drilling we see in front of us over the course of the remainder of 2021 into 2022. Like, thank, thanks for that, Peter. It gets, certainly gives us an idea of scale there. Um, a couple of things. One, how much money have you got um, today to actually deliver those plans? Uh, we are sitting on about $5 million Canadian in cash. And the burn on that's relatively slow, uh, reflecting what I mentioned to you earlier about the cost of exploration. There's not, there's not a significant amount of expenditure currently taking place on the construction side until we get past those permits. Um, we just have actually launched a uh, small financing here in Mongolia for 5 million US on the Mongolian Stock Exchange. Expect that to be successful. So by the end of this month, we'd be sitting on somewhere around 10 million Canadian. Oh, that's interesting. To, to, to do it there. I know you've got a lot of Mongolian shareholders, about 6,000 or so, but um, that's right. Yeah. Why did you do that? Why not open it up to all shareholders? Well, you know, I do expect there'll be some future opportunity for the international shareholders to participate. But in terms of the intangibles that come along with uh, a financing, we get tremendous value out of a financing here in Mongolia just from a, a shared benefits perspective. And giving them that opportunity first is, uh, is important. Uh, there's also an uh, environment here where warrants aren't part of a financing. So this will be done as a, a single share unit as opposed to share and half unit. Okay. Uh, so obviously you, you, you're, you, I think with the EIA and, and, and uh, uh, applied for now, when will you be in a position to actually start joining up the economics of all of these projects? Because um, I know, I know the open pit is the, you know, phase one, let's go. Um, that, that's great. But, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, these sorts of intervals of, um, if I, if I look here, you know, 258 meters of 0.98 gold and, um, and, and similar sorts of numbers that we've seen from the press releases recently. There's, and it's all near surface and you've got, you're talking oxides, shallow stuff. It's, it's all the language of this should be low capex, um, development should be in, in, in theory, if you can, if you can prove up the, the scale of this. But 
you're going to need for it to come together and work as one at some point to get maximize the efficiencies because it's all relatively close. You've just shown it's all relatively close. You'd be sharing a lot mm -hmm. of the same facilities. So what, what, what's the timeline in terms of getting the total picture in terms of the economics? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you look at the um, prospects that are on the Altenar Hundi licenses, they are mining licenses. But we had to go through a tremendous amount of work to get them to that stage. You know, I'd estimate two years, another million dollars of studies with the Mongolian regulatory uh, agencies. So you can apply that to the Ulan discovery. So we have the ability to move very rapidly on what we see uh, on Hundi and Ulan. And that allows us to get into that 80,000 ounce range. Maybe it pushes up into 100,000, depending on how we play with it. But I'd say that um, that's in the next two years. Ulan, you have to look out you know, three, four years to get through that process. And uh, that's the expansion stage that I'd be looking at. Okay. And in terms of the infrastructure that is there now, because I mean, we're looking at some maps there, you know, satellite imagery. It doesn't look like there's a whole lot going on there. What's it like on the ground in terms of, you know, roads, energy, water, et cetera? Right. So we're 200 kilometers from the Seike border crossing, which is um, the pathway into China. And that's been built up. The infrastructure's there because of the coal mining district that exists in that area. There are plans to extend that uh, rail line further northwest past our projects. But that's the extent of um, major infrastructure in this region. We have plans to put in place a uh, diesel solar hybrid facility about 10 megs that will support that initial uh, plan. Um, when we start to look at expansion, there's an opportunity to, tape in, to tap into the state grid power, which would lower those energy costs, but we're not at the scale yet to consider that capital, um, capital outlay. Uh, from a water perspective, we've been heavily investing in water exploration since we discovered Zoom Mod, uh, probably $3 million US that's been invested into a number of aquifers. The one that we're planning to use uh, for by Hyundai is a relatively small one, but it's just two kilometers so west of the site and provides sufficient water for the plant size that we're intending for by Hyundai, which is 1,800 tons per day. So pretty low water usage. Um, but yeah, we have those plans in place. Um, the water has been put into the state reserve, so it's available to us. We have um, companies that have bid on that diesel solar hybrid, hybrid uh, package. Uh, so yeah, all of that is very advanced. And so with the water be, you built, talk about building pipelines, or are you talking about trucking it in? I mean, how's that work? No, that would be a, a PVC pipeline. I think, you know, keep in mind here that this is a pretty flat, gently rolling area. Um, you know, so you've got a, a short trench to lay a PVC pipeline in to put that um, water into the plant. Okay, okay, fine. Um, and so, so, what, so what should we be looking at for? What's the kind of be so, the so what moments for us um, as potential shareholders? Um, okay, I get that you're raising some money on, on the local exchange, which is great. Take up 10 million bucks and you've, you've laid out the kind of order of play there. But what, what are the near-term things that we should be saying, oh, look, they've done what they said they were going to do? Yeah. Well, I think when you look at the development side, obviously that DEIA is a major milestone for us. We push through that and we can immediately get out there on the ground and start moving some dirt, which we'd intend to do this fall. So I think DEIA and launch of early works construction this year are critical path items. As we move past that, we're into finalizing our financing package. And as we talked about before, we have Export Development Canada and EBRD as part of that. 
Um, so those announcements I would expect to come to fruition latter part of this year or first quarter of next. And that, that ties up the financing and allows us to move into full full construction, at which point you'd just be following the course of that. Shifting over to the expiration side, um, we just completed that first very high density drilling of the dark horse oxide. So those results should be in the market in the next several weeks. And that will really allow the uh, investor to understand the, the scale and whether or not there's continuity to that oxide zone that allow us to tap into it. So those results will be out. The expansion of the Ulan system, you know, all we've reported on really is that um, line along the uh, eastern side. We're stepping out to the west and, you know, if we can continue to see these 100 meter plus intersections of a gram, ideally with those high grade zones, that's going to really start to put some um, materiality on that discovery. I think people will be able to understand, okay, this is this is looking like that million ounce opportunity. There's a tremendous amount of room to the west of that that we've yet to explore, and there's never been any drilling. You're, you may remember that Ulan was only owned 51% of us, but 51% by us until late last year. So this is the first time we've really given it a good a good shot. Um, so dark horse Ulan would be the keys on the um, on the exploration side. Okay, fantastic. Um, and can I just ask about you know local support ESG? We mentioned it a couple of times already, but ESG is such a big you know tick box exercise for a lot of institutions. I know you're not quite of the size yet, but at the point you will be. Mongolia is not that well known as a mining jurisdiction to international investors. Okay, I think that's fair to say. There's there's other places that people look first. You've described an environment which is very pro mining, but at a local level. The, the how, do, how do you engage with them in terms of, is it just the promise of jobs, promise of local taxes? I mean, what, what's getting them over the line um, with, with companies like yourselves? You know, I think what comes to mind first is the fact that we've had the luxury of being in the same place for 15 years. You know, we're a company that committed to that long-term exploration effort, which I'm not sure there's another company in Mongolia that's been uh, out there for more than several years. So the same faces, the same Mongolian team on the ground that's been interacting with the community leadership in these two sub-provinces and provinces for that length of time allows us to create that trust. And, you know, people can talk about trust all they want, but it comes with time and going back over and over and over again and doing what you said you're going to do. And that's what we've done. Um, I'd also say that that team that we've built, it's in their DNA to see things get better in that local community. This isn't just about, you know, if we put some money into a scholarship, that means we're going to be able to get our permits. These are people that really want to make a difference for this local community. And I think that's what's most important. You know, I can go on about all the other things we've done right up to the um, Mongolian listing, which are great for social license, but it's about those people on the ground earning trust. And that, you know, that's that's me as well when I get out there and, yeah, say the same thing. Brilliant, Peter. Look, I appreciate you coming back on. I really enjoyed the last conversation in terms of the, the plan about how you're going to go about it and what you're trying to do. Um, and obviously getting into a little bit more detail about the order of play today is, is, is really useful too. So look, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. Um, and I know we, we've actually, so just, you know, Peter and I have actually talked about potential, the potentiality of getting some of some people from the ministry. I want to hear from them. I want to hear from some, some locals and we're going to maybe put a little, panel together where I can ask some dumb questions about how much they like 
companies like yourselves in in country and what what their expectations are. So um, that, we've got that to look forward to. Yeah, I think that'll be a great opportunity. You know, um, as you said at the outset, a lot of people just don't know enough about Mongolia. There's obviously a uh, skepticism about the ability to invest here and um, and be able to make things work. I think it'd be a tremendous opportunity for your viewers to actually hear it from the horse's mouth and get some people from the ministry, get some people from business on that uh, on that panel and allow you to ask some no, questions. Well, I appreciate the offer and, and, very, and also thank you for putting it together for us. So, like, Peter, for today, thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you soon um, and ho hope that you enjoyed the rest of your visit uh, in Mongolia. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.